Coming up on Harvard Chan This Week in Health, a new study finds that inducing labor is not linked with autism risk. Plus, stress in the workplace, the poll revealing how Americans view their jobs and the impact on their health. And as much of the U.S. endures a heat wave, we explore the global rise in the use of air conditioning. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. It's Friday, July 29th, and I'm Amy Monomiro. And I'm Noah Levitt. We begin this week with a new study that finds that children born via induced labor do not appear to be at an increased risk for autism spectrum disorders. The researchers led by the Harvard Chan School, along with colleagues from Harvard Medical School, Indiana University, and Karolinska University in Sweden. Labor is often induced when it doesn't progress on its own, and there is a concern that waiting can endanger the health of the mother or the baby. The study comes after a 2013 study raised concerns when it found an association between induced labor and autism risk. This new research looked at 1 million births from Sweden, and what they did differently was compare data from siblings and close relatives, such as cousins, where one child was induced and one was not. And in these cases, no association was found between induced labor and autism. Sarah Oberg, a research fellow in the Department of Epidemiology at the Harvard Chan School and the lead author of the study, explains why this is an important distinction. The concern here is that you can observe an association between labor induction and autism, even though labor induction does not cause autism. An association can be observed, for example, if induction and autism share risk factors, so that some of the factors that increase a woman's likelihood of being induced also increase the risk of her child uh, developing autism. And if there are such factors, we would see an association between the two, even though there's no causal effect of induction. Since we are able to also compare siblings, we can adjust for several factors that maybe cannot be measured, but because they are shared by the siblings, they are uh, automatically controlled for. And so those could be environmental and genetic factors that siblings share but that would otherwise be difficult to measure. The takeaway researchers say is that concerns about autism should not factor into clinical decisions about whether to induce labor. After that 2013 study, some obstetricians in the U.S. reported that patients were concerned about or even opposed to inducing labor. Despite that, Oberg says guidelines around induced labor in the U.S. never changed. And she says this new research adds to the body of evidence that induced labor is not linked with autism. In 2014, so a year after, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists actually went out with a recommendation, a committee opinion, uh, about not changing the guidelines. And that came following this paper because there was public concern about the risk of autism. And their conclusion was that the evidence up to date was not uh, strong enough to suggest a causal link and not strong enough to suggest a need for changing the guidelines. And our paper now, our study, uh, aligns with that, uh, with that finding and that recommendation that uh, there does not seem to be a causal effect of labor induction on risk of autism. Oberg says more research is needed because this study only looked at the risks of labor induction itself and not the specific method or medication used in the process. One area of future studies, she says, could focus on oxytocin, a hormone that is often used to induce labor. In Colombia this week, health officials declared an end to the Zika epidemic, the first time a South American country has done so. 
Officials there said the number of new infections is falling by around 600 cases per week. In all, nearly 100,000 Colombians have been infected with Zika, and about 20 cases of the birth defect microcephaly have been reported. But that number is expected to grow as 18,000 of those infected were pregnant women. Even though Colombian officials say that the epidemic is over, they warn that there may still be extended outbreaks in the future. Only Brazil, at the center of the Zika epidemic, has seen more cases than Colombia. This week, the Northeast and much of the U.S. sweltered through temperatures well above 90 degrees, even 100 degrees in some spots. And that means air conditioners were working overtime. Here in the U.S., we may take AC for granted, but in other parts of the world, it's a relatively new and fast-growing appliance. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, recently studied the global potential for air conditioner use. They looked at Mexico and found that in the country's hottest areas, AC usage increased rapidly as income went up. In some areas, 80% of people were using air conditioning. And a similar effect is being seen elsewhere, says Lucas Davis, an associate professor at the University of California, Berkeley, and one of the study's authors. In China, for example, air conditioner sales have nearly doubled over the last five years, and more than 60 million units are sold each year. And the potential is even greater in a place like India, says Davis. He and his co-author, Paul Gertler, developed a measure known as cooling degree days, which helps determine the demand for energy to cool buildings. India is just a great example with four times the population as the U.S., but it's also three times as hot as the U.S., measured by the annual average cooling degree days. So that just that means if you multiply those two numbers together, you get that India has 14 times the, the cooling potential that the United States has. And there is a potential downside, says Davis. More air conditioning means more electricity usage, which in turn can lead to increased emissions. This is mostly good news. It means that it means that people are richer. It means they're going to be more comfortable in their homes. Air conditioning is a wonderful thing on a hot and humid day. At the same time, it also raises enormous challenges for electricity markets and for the global environment. So a typical air conditioner, a room air conditioner, uses 10 to 20 times the electricity used by a ceiling fan. So this is just a huge increase in, in electricity consumption. And, and this is this is difficult. It means that there's going to need to need to be billions of dollars of infrastructure investments made over the next several decades to meet this increased electricity electricity demand. It also means more emissions of carbon dioxide. So what can be done to combat those rising emissions? One idea, says Davis, is a carbon tax that would raise the price of electricity and have the host of other effects. The big market failure is that electricity prices are too cheap. They're too cheap because they don't reflect the social cost of electricity generation. I'm talking about carbon dioxide emissions. I'm also talking about local pollutants, sulfur dioxide, nitrogen oxide. I'm talking about all the externalities that come from electricity. If electricity price, prices were higher, that would lead to a lot of changes. It would lead people to buy fewer air conditioners. It would lead to them to, to make sure that they're more energy efficient air conditioners. And it would lead them to use 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 their conditioning more sparingly to conserve to, to conserve all that all that is move is, is movements in the in the right direction. If you'd like to read more about Davis's research on air conditioning, we'll put a link to his study on our website hsph.me/thisweekinhealth. Have you ever wondered how your job affects your health? Well, Americans are weighing in through a new poll conducted by the Harvard Chan School, NPR, and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. 
And this survey found that nearly 4 in 10 Americans believe their jobs do affect their health. And those most likely to say their job has a negative impact on their health are people with disabilities, those in dangerous jobs, those in low-paying jobs, those working 50 hours or more a week, and those working in the retail sector. And among the biggest impacts on health is stress. 43% of those polled say their job leads to increased stress. Experts from the Harvard Chan School and beyond discussed that during a recent webcast hosted at the school. John Quelch, professor in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Harvard Chan School, and the Charles Edward Wilson Professor of Business Administration at Harvard Business School, says stress-related mental health issues can take a major toll on employees and their employers. When you look at the cost, we're looking at about $30 billion of cost per year to U.S. business that comes from work days lost due to stress-related condition. When you look further at the numbers, what you find is around about um, uh, 36% of uh, U.S. workers in surveys, generally speaking, give the indication that they are suffering uh, from work-related stress. And very few of these workers have uh, access to um, resources that can help them uh, through their company. And even when those resources do exist, uh, employee assistance programs, for example, uh, many, um, many workers will not avail themselves because of the perception of stigma uh, and the fear that if word gets back from however independent the EAP professional is alleged to be, uh, the concern is that, in fact, that person will report back somehow through a reporting system and undermine the employee uh, and their credibility in the workplace. And they may be passed over for a job, they may not get a raise, they may be the first person out of the door when the company has to cut uh, uh, the workforce. Uh, people are worried about the stigma associated with that. Quelch says this stigma is magnified for the nearly 6% of people who suffer from a serious mental health condition. So what are some solutions? Experts say that companies need to build a, quote, culture of health. And one of the first steps is talking with workers about the specific conditions that make them stressed, from harmful workplaces to understaffing to the lack of regular feedback. To watch the full webcast, just visit the forum.sph.harvard.edu. Finally, this episode, adults in many countries are becoming shorter, and that's a significant public health concern. Researchers from dozens of institutions looked at a century's worth of data for more than 18 million people. They found that the average adult height in many countries peaked 30 or 40 years ago and has since declined. In the U.S., the peak occurred later. American men reached their maximum average height in 1996, while women reached their max in 1988. Height is linked to overall health and well-being and is strongly influenced by a mother's nutrition during pregnancy and a child's nutrition during infancy. And when it comes to declining height in the U.S., the researchers tell the New York Times that worsening nutrition standards for poor Americans could be to blame. But they also said they did not measure the effects of immigration from Central American countries where people are substantially shorter. According to the study, Dutch men born before 2000 were the world's tallest people, while Guatemalan women born before 1900 were the shortest. And one other final and kind of interesting note in this study, Amy, is that the researchers point out that this was the actual measured height of people, the 18 million people they looked at, as opposed to their self-reported height, 
which obviously can have a lot of variance and error because people might not remember their height correctly. So that's why this is kind of considered more accurate and more expansive than other studies in this area. Height on the driver's license isn't always height in real life. Exactly. People always want to add that extra inch or two. Yeah. Well, when you're 5'1", every inch counts. So. <laughs> that's all for Harvard Chan this week in health. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Montemuro. A reminder that you can listen to this podcast anytime on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher.